We've done this before. Let's try something new. One, two, one, two, three, four. Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. Today's date is March 8th, 2021, if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today, as always, with Steve. Hello. How you doing today? Great. We just uh, celebrated the one-year anniversary of our two-week lockdown. Yeah. Long ago. <laughs> Pretty exciting stuff. Happy one year. Happy one year. <laughs> Remember, like, back when we were doing these, like, remote and stuff? Because, like, we weren't, none oh, of us yeah. were sure. Oh, yeah. We've come a long way. We have. We've come a long way since that first episode. <laughs> and the amount of things we've experienced in that time is very interesting. <laughs> so, we were talking about this, and I believe I'm going to do a remastered episode one. Yeah. And, that, send it, and put it back out. Yeah. Back when we were just totally, like, basically getting butt-fucked by Metallica in our scripts all the time. Yeah. That's all we could talk about. Stupid. Let's talk about Metallica. I have I have the perfect idea for a first episode. <laughs> Let's talk about the one thing that people have been talking about forever now, and see if we can just be original as fuck about it. Let's bash on Lars Ulrich and also sound with the most poor quality as we <laughs> rip on Sane Anger for its drum quality. Yeah. But it sounds like we were talking underwater the entire time. Honestly, I think if we just put an iPhone, like, bro, in we the sounded the table, like we were on transistor better. radios that we use, like in The Shining <laughs> when she's trying to get in touch with somebody. And yeah. It's like just crackly as shit. Metallica. Like we recorded it in '86, and we're like Lars Ulrich's drumming was so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, honest to God, if we had like a boombox, like the, or no, like oh, those yeah. old tape recorders, like the little microphones, yeah, like an eight track. Yeah, we had something like that just in the middle of the table. It probably yeah. would have sounded better. Yeah, like the rock mic that we rock exactly. band mic that we plugged into the laptop and tried oh, to record dude, if we an had album. The rock on. band mic, it would have been even better. It's cool when you're doing punk rock. Not cool when you're trying to sound professional professional you're trying to sound like Social a reputable media. music uh, yeah. you know, opinion source <laughs> we stole this out of a box from rock band in 2008 <laughs> they're really gonna do something here we come a long way yeah <laughs> for those of you that would like to know how we get our sound you can find us on our social media accounts facebook and instagram and twitter at ratm podcast or email us at ratmpodcast at gmail.com i feel like i have to put this thing in like the beginning of the episode just in case no one listens to the very end yes which i hope you all do because yeah. we do have really good stuff at the end of the episodes yeah. every episode but just in case there's our social media outlets maybe if we like say it in the beginning then we'll get like the hate mail like oh, i don't even make it past five minutes past your show that's the point yeah congratulations exactly <laughs> you gave us five minutes so um have you encountered anything new or interesting so i've countered something new okay also countered something a theory that's interesting. So two separate things. A theory? The new thing was Coming to America 2. <laughs> Finally released. Uh, it was on Prime. I watched it. Um, and it's funny because the storyline I was a little skeptical about. Yeah. It actually makes sense the way they describe it. Um, there's a lot of nostalgic scenes that they show from the original. 
uh, just to kind of give you like flashback moments to you know show why scenes make sense. Do we get Arsenio Hall and drag again? Oh yeah, you get, really? Oh yeah, they get that oh scene God, over so again because that scene is relevant to the storyline. That okay. whole bar scene. So basically. Um, I'm not going to go down the entire thing. I mean, it's available to watch on the Prime, uh, but it's good. It's like a fun watch. Yeah. The the comedy at times feels very forced, not as fluent. I think there was something after Beverly Hills Cop 3 where Eddie Murphy's comedy just turned into very generic, like Dr. Doolittle. Oh. Um, like the Is it a professor. return to form or no? Subtly in ways. Okay. But it's like the supporting cast. Like Tracy Morgan's in it and is he's hilarious. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, the woman that plays the baby's mom of his kid is pretty funny. Um, the barbershop scene, the characters that they portrayed in the original that come yeah. back are just as funny. The barbershop okay. scenes, there's two really good ones. This is the funniest parts of that whole movie. And, it, the and, they're, and they're literally the funniest parts in this movie. They're so short and lived, but they're fucking hilarious. I was I was crying at some moments. Arsenio Hall's great in it. Um, and literally every character, with the exception of Lisa's boyfriend, I can't think of his name, the Soul Glow family, Oh, uh, whatever um, his name is. I forget his name. He's the only one that doesn't make a prize. And then also, I didn't know this. The woman who played Eddie Murphy's mom in the movie, the original, yeah. she was actually battling with cancer during that filming. She battled uh, leukemia for 13 years and oh, died wow. in like the late 90s or something like that. Oh, shit. So that's why she's not in it. But the father's in it. Um, James Lisa's dad's in it. Uh, oh shit, That's Mr. Funny. McDowell. Yeah, they, it's yeah, it's it starts off very good. You get an introduction. A lot of the characters. Lisa, uh, come down here and meet the king. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's very good. Uh, like again, it's just a fun family watch. Don't go into it with the expectation. Like I hope it's as funny as it was. It's just, not. Like don't let yourself down. It's just that stupid. Sucks. But it was fun watching it. Like I said, the comedy was good. Now the interesting thing, a few weeks ago, uh, an episode with. Uh, Will that was on, I mentioned a specific beverage that I was drinking. Yes. The Yerbe energy drink. That's just, you know, pure water, basically some tea and hard I've been ordering this stuff now off okay. of Amazon in cases because the only place that sells it is Wawa where I live. There's like no Wawas. All of a sudden, ever since that episode came out, it's fucking sold out. I can't get my beverage. <laughs> this shit, like, who, first of all, anytime I ordered it, it was, like, never an issue. Never yeah. was, like, six left in stock. You know how sometimes they give you that warning? Bro, shit flat, flat out sold out. Like, not in stock until end of March. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, not only am I getting no recognition for my blatant advertising that I'm not even getting paid for, but now I'm suffering as a result because I'm a highly acclaimed consumer of the Yerbe beverage, <laughs> and now I can't even order it. So I literally shot my, and it's funny because they have several other flavors, but I mentioned yeah. specifically the mango flavor that I drink because it's the best flavored one. Yeah. Only one that's sold out. The only thing you can do is buy the other flavors, which are no good in my opinion. That sucks. I couldn't believe it, dude. <laughs> so now I'm sitting here. I'm like, is this my fault? Did I cause this? Do we have this much of a reach? Yeah. What happened? Well, I hope one of these days Liquid Death Mountain Water gets back to us because I've sent them multiple emails. I mean, I've actually had some of that. What? Did, all it's right. very good. It's different. It's not like regular water. It's yeah. like wet. I got you know off I mean? of, yeah, I got off of soda and everything. Um, I just have this weird fear that one day I'm just going to like be super unhealthy. You know, like my dad's got all these health issues and I'm like, yeah. is there something like, you know, well, you in the genes and the biology, measure. biological st- Yeah. So I'm thinking, yeah, I'm taking a proactive stance here. Preemptive strike on my health. Yeah. <laughs> Approaching 30. I can feel it in the bones. Woke up this morning and my neck was stiff. I'm like, this is no good. Um, 
but yeah, I tried that because like I want something to drink that's not just like Poland Spring or sink water, you know? Yeah. Like I just want to feel like I'm drinking something that's still healthy, but it's different. good. And it was. I really enjoyed it. As of last week, they're available at all 7-Eleven locations nationwide. I noticed because Two that's for all I fucking have up there. Dude. Yeah. I've been an advocate for this shit for a very long time. I tried it and I fucking fell in love. It sounds stupid. It's water in a can. It It's different. Yes. It's like, I think it's better than Fiji. I think it's better than all of those like high dollar fucking Wawa brands you can get. Liquid Death Mountain Water is the shit. Yeah, I'm one of those obscure individuals in the world that can't drink alcohol for the sake of my health, and you can take that for what it is and whatever yeah. you think it means. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's basically what I do. It's you know, you sound stupid because you're drinking water out of a can or so, but it's the same aesthetic. Like I try to look for things to drink since I don't drink you know alcohol anymore. Where it's mm-hmm. like you know I could be drinking Poland Spring for ninety nine cents a bottle, or I can spend a little extra. And have one of these once in a while. And, and not just, for nothing. It's like liquid, a treat. Liquid Death looks like a craft beer. It does. Like the can looks I like honestly, a Honestly, when beer. I saw the previews for it, that's what I assumed it was. It was like a Spike Seltzer, but it's literally just water. Water. The name alone is so fucking... Dude, like, it like matches like the aesthetic yeah, of like yeah. everything that like we do in like our normal lives. It is lives. very... Yeah. <laughs> liquid Death. I'm just going to purposely be edgy. Yeah. And be drinking their Liquid Death. Well, they have it too. If you go on their website, you can join like their country club. Yes. And you sell your soul to them. Interesting. I've already sold my soul. Imagine when you're like 55 and it's like time to go and like you have to go to hell. Like, remember that contract? Yeah, like, remember the contract you. you signed? Yeah, you can buy them out. You can get it back. You can. It's $125,000. <laughs> to buy your soul back? Or you can pay for a membership. <laughs> I swear to God, you go on their website, liquiddeath.com. You go to their shop. They have. Um, is this like Jim Jones's like late nephew that's uh you know lost nephew that's running this shit? Right, look, <laughs> Sell your soul to us for a beverage. Sort of ba- basically how the Jonestown massacre <laughs> <laughs> happened. So you go on their website, murder, murder your thirst. thirst, dude. Like like <laughs> it's just like the aesthetic of it is just so funny. So let's see, you go Cutie to their, paluties. You go to their merch store. Summon us. Yeah. So you go to their merch store, right? Yeah, like their merch is actually pretty cool. A little expensive, but not bad. That being, oh, that trucker hat's actually pretty fucking cool. Yeah, chainsaw masker hat. That's pretty fucking cool, dude. I'm actually probably gonna buy that. I hate to say. So you go down, like they got cozies and like shirts and hats. I like the hat, dude. Even the long sleeve looks like a metal band T-shirt. Look at the graphics. Go back. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool. I like the logo. It looks like super punk. Um. That long sleeve below it. Look, it's even got the decal on the side of the arms. Like oh, a yeah. death metal shirt. Hey, that's what it looks like. Yeah. I'm even more about it now that I see the merch. They have an album. It's they totally, have a compilation album, It's too. totally guys that listen to music like us. <clears throat> Here's like, the cutie. Look at those guys. It's all about, like, saving the environment. Oh, my God. And they're all, like, disgusting and butchered because of what we do to the oceans. Oh, wait, hold on. Here's that's all pretty you. fucking cool. I got to get that turtle for Becky. Oh, my God. Dude. But the, then they they're have the cutie paludies. Look. Greatest Hates, Volume 2. They have punk bands that play songs based off of their hate mail. That's awesome. Dude. Oh, my God. Yeah, look at the lyrics. Rather murder myself than drinking this garbage. It's like the lyrical content. Yeah. You think Just it, making fun of something that's the... That the devil does. Oh, my God. 
Good try. <laughs> oh my god. Fuck. Wait, go up, go up, go up. Fuck off, your product is dumb. <laughs> Canned water, water for, for dumbasses. Like, <laughs> that's awesome. But then, like, uh, let's see. Get, you know, hoodies, fucking patches, stickers, all kinds of shit. Then you go down, country club membership, $125,000. The description is, I mean, I don't, this is turning into like a liquid death, like a liquid death, like ad. But, um, yeah, so then you go into their country club. I've already, I've already sell, sold my soul to them. Oh, yeah, then you get a um, free 12 pack when you, when you uh, do your first order, no matter what you buy. Um, from what I can, oh, yeah, this is funny. Let's be clear. Clear. Liquid death is a completely unnecessary approach to bottled water. In fact, we strive to be unnecessary in everything we do because unnecessary things tend to be far more interesting, fun, hilarious, captivating, memorable, exciting, and cult worthy than necessary things. Unnecessary things. Smashing a guitar on stage and lighting it on fire. Jumping over 14 Greyhound buses on a vintage motorcycle. Cat videos. Necessary things. Breathing. Driving the speed limit. <laughs> we start Liquid Death with the totally evil plan to make people laugh and get more of them to drink more water than more often. Um, how? By taking the world's healthiest beverage and making it just as unnecessarily entertaining as the unhealthy brands across energy drinks, beer, chips, and candy. Most products in the health and wellness space are all marketed with aspirational fitness models and airbrushed celebrities, and many of us are tired of it. Why should unhealthy products be the only brands with permission to be loud, fun, and weird? Let's be honest. Almost all marketing and branding is just theater. So we're going to treat our theater like a movie theater and have more fun with it. As longtime creative weirdos, we feel that positive, healthy change doesn't have to be boring and artless. And if you want to have a bottled water at a concert, in a bar, at a party, in your car, or anywhere, it shouldn't have to also mean drinking from a plastic bottle that isn't actually recyclable and eventually ends up in the ocean. As we continue to bring our unnecessarily awesome and infinitely recyclable bottled water option more people, we are equally as excited to use our healthy water brand to help fun and help help fund and elevate weird art, music, and entertainment that most big corporate brands would never. Touch. It's smart that they actually put that in there because the bottled water <laughs> thing—it's absolutely true. I watched this documentary yeah. on recycling. Those Poland spring bottles, you know, Deer Park bottles, those real thin plastics—they mm-hmm. do. They just wind up becoming basically into um, landfills and shit and trash, and this just doesn't get recycled. Yeah. So everybody that's been putting those in their cycling bin, you're actually causing more harm and don't fucking realize it, which is sad. Yeah. Because I, th- I was like throwing bottles out for a long time. Dude's like, yo, why aren't you putting those in recycling? I was like, my man, you're going to watch this documentary. Right <laughs> so change your life. If you're looking to get in touch or get a hold of a liquid death, you can get them at 7-Eleven nationwide. Get go. I don't know what the hell that is. They're nowhere around here. I don't Never think. Never even heard of it. Sheets, Sheets is and, somewhat close. And Whole Foods. Yeah. Um. No, that's really cool. After seeing that website, I totally can. I mean, that's that's the problem. People take like, look shit at their too album. seriously. It looks like a death metal album. It does. It look like yeah. It looks really cool. I'm about it. Yeah, I'm all about the satire and you know making people feel upset for no reason. Like, look at the black metal babies. Killer baby namer. Get liquid death name my ch- let let liquid death name my child. Always trust the internet. <laughs> real reviews from real psychopaths. <laughs> Sean M says the first time I bought it it was more of an experiment to see what it was about so after drinking the first 12 pack I turned right around and ordered two more 
So deadly it killed the cancer in my liver. <laughs> and also me as well. Hell isn't so bad. We have Wi-Fi down here. <laughs> awesome. Crisp and refreshing. Definitely ordering more. Yeah. I mean, they definitely they definitely don't need our advertisement for this. No, but it, here's it's the something thing. that I believe in, you know? I, I'm totally for that because again, you're they, they there's more to the model than just saying, all right, we're selling you water in a can. They have good intent behind it by you know, giving you the stuffed animals that are all fucked up from what happens to when yes. we pollute the oceans and making them all smiley and happy, like really triggering that emotion where you want to be so politically correct all the time. Like, why oh, are you selling exactly. this water in a can? It's cheaper in a bottle. Whoever buys this is an asshole. Well, guess what, dude? If you're still recycling thin plastic water bottles, you're a fucking moron, first of all, and you're just doing what you thought you should be doing your entire life. Yep. A. B. That is right, what they say in their pitch, the marketing for shit that people buy all the time. Like when Gatorade comes out with its new, you know, zero whatever and energy supplement, now new Gatorade whatever, and it's got like Damian Lillard from the Blazers shooting basketball and fucking drinking this water. LeBron James saying this is what you should be. And you go on buy it. Yep. Why is that any different for something that advertises in a more obscure fashion? Exactly. All right. You don't listen to fucking punk rock music or death metal. So what are you going to hate on this brand because they're just doing what every other company does? Yeah. Look at all the seltzer products out there now. Well, the thing is, dude, it's almost like, well, they're marketing towards like a niche audience. Yeah. Like, for instance, me and you, yep. we both tried it based off the aesthetic of what it is. Yeah. They and fit our criteria. Exactly. But you're going to find reasons to not like it the same way I'm finding reasons not to like other shit. But I don't also fucking bash it to a point of like, what are they doing wrong? Exactly. You're just mad because you didn't think of such from, a simple fucking idea. From what I can understand is it's actually, it was built, actually the company's only like four years old. And it was made by three friends out in California. Yeah. That's what I can. Uh, so I'm saying it's that simple. That's what I read about. It's the most simple idea that you know anybody could have stumbled upon, and if they're successful in that venture, more power to them. Exactly. That's why I can't hate when everyone gets all crazy about like Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos and all them. Yeah, they're they super did, they fucking did. rich, but at some point they weren't. They just had a great idea and exactly. it became something way more. wise. or stole it from twins? Possibly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Allegedly. Who cares? You know, business is a cutthroat <laughs> atmosphere. I hate capitalism and love it at the same exact time. You know what I mean? Because the uneven I, distribution of wealth. But I would love it even more if I was on the receiving end of, of the course. capitalism. And that's the worst part about it is, is I'm just too <laughs> lazy to go out and do something. Yeah. Like to make something happen and get mad when I see other people become successful. Exactly. Like, oh, capitalism <laughs> bullshit. That guy's a fucking asshole. Yeah. The world's keeping me down. <laughs> and I'm just sitting on my couch all the time eating chips off my chest. Like. Yeah, right? <laughs> This ad brought to you by... <laughs> Guess at our social medias. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, we started with new and interesting. My interesting became super, like, rabbit hole of interesting fact. Yeah. Um, you, new or interesting. Anything, <laughs> Bill. Well... Other than liquid death. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, if those of you that have been living under a rock haven't heard of WandaVision. Oh, yes. Season finale was, well, today. It was last night, Monday. When this comes yes, out, yes, 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 yes. Again, it was Sunday, Friday, Friday. Um, Wait, yeah, it come, they come out so, on Fridays. No, the way you put it, if you're listening to this, it was last night, so I'm thinking it's Sunday because you're technically Monday. I know. If you're listening Friday, to this episode, we're on Saturday, exactly. just to get everyone super confused in our cobweb of recording. 
March 5th. Yes. There you go. <laughs> March 5th was the season finale. Season slash series finale. It's a mini series? That's it? Yeah. Well, they um they left it kind of open ended to where it could be possibility. It could be a second season or it could be totally. But if dark. they ended it the way they ended it, it's ended. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So there was nine episodes in total. Each episode like ranged from I think the first one was like thirty minutes. What network? Like, Disney Plus. Yes. So the first one was like thirty minutes, and then like they were like a consistent like forty five to fifty minutes after that. It was like watching a Marvel a new Marvel movie every Friday. It was amazing. It was really amazing. Yeah. It, it was. Don't go by the trailer of the show. Because it's not. It's not what it seems. Usually, when trailers are misleading or like not as interesting, those are the shows I want to watch. I've never seen a trailer for a movie that was like phenomenal and then really enjoyed the movie because usually the parts in the trailer. Bro, I'm telling you right now, you got to watch it. Yeah, I've been fucking busting numb nuts as balls about watching it. Well, here's the thing, and you know me, like I go above and beyond to watch everything I can. I'm the same way with movies as I am with music. The problem is, you don't have Disney Plus. I don't have Disney Plus, and <laughs> nobody in my family does. And we had an argument about this because I'm just a fucking leech off of the streaming <laughs> networks. Um, now the new thing is Paramount. Yeah, Paramount well, Plus. I'm guessing it's called Paramount Plus, but that's gonna well, Paramount's a Viacom company, so you're gonna have MTV, Nickelodeon. Yeah, that's what, well, that's what happened because the new SpongeBob movie came out not too long ago, and the kids all want to watch it. I'm a victim of niece and nephew rave to the point where they persuade the situation. So I need something real good to come out on Disney Plus to be like, hey, listen. WandaVision. Well, for the kids. The kids are the driving factor. WandaVision. I don't know if a four-year-old's going to really get into WandaVision. All the Disney stuff. True. I got to find something on there that's like, guess what's on Disney Plus right now? Um. Wait, how'd you watch Soul? Soul was a... <laughs> all right. So Soul was done from a one-week trial. Oh. No one's no one's willing to pay for it. That's the unnecessary value at this point because they think they can find enough in Amazon Prime between <laughs> watching the same fucking episodes of Elmo, Sesame Street, and honestly, dude, Disney Plus they got everything. I know they they got like every Disney. Dude, thing I might just doled up and finally pay for my first so, streaming. It's service. only six ninety nine. Yeah, I know. I just got all my own Apple Music plan now because oh, the family shit. plan I was leeching off of. Like something happened over there. I got kicked off. <laughs> Getting let go, for, like I'm like I'm literally like a leech getting pried off, like leaving my bloody carbon footprint. Just, you know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I gotta check it out because I've heard too many people that come with credible, you dude. Know, it was reliability good. And the last episode was fucking incredible. The benefit is now it's done, so I or at least exactly. the season if it does go further. You could probably find it on the water twig. On this day in music history. On this day in music history, March 8th, 1969, Credence Clearwater Revival's Proud Mary hits number two on the Hot 100, where it stays for three weeks. It is the first of five CCR singles to reach the runner-up spot on the chart without ever hitting number one. That's crazy. What the fuck? Well, that's <laughs> that the thing. piss me off, dude. I wish I would have knew what was actually number one. At I'm that point so in time. curious, dude. Hold on. Yeah, you're going to look it up? Yeah. What year? 1969? Yeah. 
So March 8th, 1969. That's just so crazy to me because I, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because Credence is so like coveted and beloved and like classic now that maybe they weren't as influential or as beloved now or then as they are now. Maybe that's what kept them from number number one, unless it was something fucking absolutely insane, incredible in 1969, which I highly doubt. The only thing that makes me think, though, is like, I wonder if Credence has like the same kind of stigma as like Bruce Springsteen. Like Bruce is like only big like out here on the East Coast because of the whole like New Jersey, the boss thing. And maybe Credence is kind of like the same deal. But I don't know. What was it? So on March 8th at the time, it was Everyday People by Sly and the Family Stone. Ooh, um, that was a good one. Yeah, it hit March 1st, then it hit again. Mar- it actually hit February 15th, the 22nd, the 1st, and the 8th. Oh, shit. So it so stayed for several weeks. Damn, so this was the fourth um, week of it at number one? Yeah. And that song was that strong, it Creedence couldn't fucking break through. Yeah, January, it was all... It's, yeah, listen to this. So for January up until... Sly took over on February 1st up until January 25th. I heard it through the grapevine by Marvin Gaye. Oh, really? Was the number one so song what was number time. one for three weeks after the 8th? Uh, the 15th, the 22nd through the 29th was Dizzy by Tommy Rowe. I don't even recall that. Yeah, song. that lasted for four weeks up until April 5th. Then it was the fifth dimension with Aquarius. Was Let Credence even in the was was were they even in the top five at that point or top ten? Well, that's going all the way. This is only giving me the tops for nineteen sixty nine, starting from January all the way down to December twenty seventh. Yeah, but I mean, like after after its three weeks at number two, did they drop? Like, are, did they drop off of that list? You know what I mean? Let me see. Billboard for nineteen sixty nine. It's just wild to think, though. I don't even know that fucking song, Dizzy. Watch, we'll fucking look it up. And be like, oh my god, I fucking do that song. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I can't see a breakdown for. How oh, many okay. Weeks. It only gives me the top per week. Eh, whatever. That's crazy though. Yeah, it never hit number one, and it's the first of five. That's what singles. I was gonna say. That's why it would piss me off that you have mm-hmm. five singles that get that close and just can't get. Everyday there. People is a good song though. I can understand. Of that. Of course, but I think it's great that I heard it through the grapevine. Was number one to start the year. Yeah, right. <laughs> I would love that. Wait, was that cover after 1969? I mean, it had to have been because it came out after Marvin Gaye released it. So maybe Credence was like, "Look, let's, let's cover this. It might yeah. it might actually peak this time." Nope. <laughs> well, I heard it through the grapevine that in 1974, rising from the ashes of Free and Mata Hoople, the newly formed Bad Company play their first live gig at Newcastle City Hall in Newcastle. Upon teen England. You know what I heard about that company? They have a great self-titled album. Okay, well, anyways. <laughs> it's kind of funny that they that they would even know that it was their first live gig. I mean, Newcastle City Hall. I mean, it's not like a giant... I, I can't imagine this being like a huge venue. Mm. But... Like, that's just crazy. What's cool about that, though, is Bad Company, I mean, they were just your typical, like, rock band. They were just a very simplistic rock band. You know, the self-titled album, Straight Shooter. um, They And they were also, that first album was released on um, Zeppelin's 
record label. What the oh, fuck was really? it called? Um, I forget, but I know, I know exactly what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, but they though. were they were they hooked up with them and had them produce their albums. And, and that's um, the thing with Bad Company too, dude. They're they're very consistent. That's what I'm saying. Paul like, Rogers always good. I saw Bad. Well, it was technically Paul Rogers with a supporting band. They played Free and Bad Company songs. Yeah. And other than the way he looked, I bring I brought this up before, but his vocals, man, just he's still he's good. so fucking good. And I don't want you to take this the wrong way. But you can compare someone like Paul Rogers to someone like Sammy Hagar, like even in his 70s, is still fucking at the top That's of the his thing. game. That's the thing, and I'm not a Sammy Hagar fan, but you can give him credit that if yeah. you are a fan of him, you're getting the same quality that you've expected. Exactly. I mean, we know how many vocalists that are just... Still, like Deep Purple, when I saw Deep Purple live, Jesus fucking Christ, Look dude. at fucking Kiss. Dude, oh my Paul God. Stanley can't fucking Motley sing Crue, at all. if you're paying money oh to go God. see Motley Crue... You know who's actually speaking of Molly Poison? Brett Michaels is still pretty good live. Yeah. He he's still he's still very good live. I'd be curious, and I haven't heard anything of recent of Sebastian Bach when we talk about that scene. Because he I've, was another vocalist that had certain chops that I don't know if he can live up to anymore. I don't think he's as good anymore. I, I think he's more of just a name yeah. now. It's like Axel Rose. Yeah, it's like, like David Lee Roth, Axel Rose, Sebastian that Bach, mastered for a period of time. Exactly, just, it's not sustainable. It's a personality. Yeah, yeah you can that, tell that that's, that's exactly not it. a comfortable vocal style. That it was more for a theatrical feel because Paul Rogers' voice is yes. just his singing talent. Like that's yep. just natural ability. Um, going forward here in 1990, Rolling Stone calls Jefferson Airplane's disastrous new comeback album most unwanted comeback of the year. They got a lot of balls to be talking about most unwanted anything. But then again, 1990, they were pretty credible. That album stung, too. Was it bad? Yeah, it's not good. I'm, a, I'm like a moderate Jefferson Airplane fan. Like, I like Surrealist to Pillow and Tobacco Road's decent. Um, you know, there's some songs that are very good. They're more of like a greatest hits act to me. Surrealistic Pillow is actually pretty good, actually. I can't lie about that. It's a decent album. Um, but this album, Jefferson Airplane was one of those bands that were not just, they couldn't be successful anymore. Yeah, the scene has totally changed. They were an adaptable band. They were a, a vibe band for its time. Yeah, exactly. 70s, you know, hippie music. It was like perfect. Mm-hmm. Like the Grateful Dead could continue to do what they did because their following was so cultish that they could just continue yeah. to do the same shit. Jefferson Airplane just, they were a circumstantial band for the time. Yeah, exactly. No way you were being successful in 1990. <laughs> Sorry to say. However, in 1994, two seminal albums from the 90s are released one being Soundgarden Super Unknown and the other one being Nine Inch Nails is Downward Spiral they entered the album's chart at number one and number two respectively great example of why Jefferson Airplane couldn't be successful exactly. in the 90s because <laughs> this was what was happening dude. <laughs> yeah like especially Downward Spiral I mean there's so many I don't want to say Super industrial insane well I mean we're, that's why I don't even want to bring that up because yeah. it's just it's, it's that fucking good Downward Spiral is really good too I mean I like Pretty Hate Machine more but Downward Spiral's good they're both they're, they're like a toss up that's like Alice in Chains with me like their yeah. albums interchange depending on how much I've been listening to it and, <laughs> but Downward Spiral it, if you think of like all that industrial sounding you know mm-hmm. synth bands that were coming out at the time Nine Inch Nails has got to be one of the most successful ones to do it because yeah. it was a sound that now you just kind of attribute to like, oh, they sound like Nine Inch Nails. Like Deftones were kind of there, yeah, you know, but 
downward spiral in Soundgarden Supernova. I would like to do an episode one of these days based off of people that forged their own path and actually wound up being like extremely successful in something that they had made themselves. Because Trent Reznor is one of those guys that rarely ever get talked about his contributions to music like that. Talking Heads. Yeah. They're one of the first bands to really incorporate Mm -hmm. outside instruments into being very quirky. and And like... Like you think of the bands that have like spawned from the idea mm-hmm. of Nine Inch Nails. I mean, like Marilyn Manson. I mean, like I, mean, I know like he's a really bad example as of late, but <laughs> the shit that he was doing with Trent Reznor, like that first yeah. album, was fucking insane. Yes, because of the influence from him. We could talk about musicians that also did production. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Mark Motherball from fucking Devo. A lot of them. Yeah, a ton of people. Clint Eastwood even. Yes. going forward now to 2003 50 cents first single in the club off of get rich or die trying absolute fucking classic hip-hop tops the hot 100 for the first of nine weeks that fucking song man i I remember when that that came out out, dude Dude. that was an absolute game changer i remember seeing the the music video with him doing the fucking like upside down he was in the fucking like yeah because he was like in a rehab the shady training facility or something and you got introduced to like young buck and tony yayo and lloyd banks because they were all in the video but g unit had eminem and dre were in the video too weren't they eminem and dre they were in the science yeah Yeah. watching him do his whole rehabilitation (laughs) thing now, 50 Cent had music before this, but this album, Get Rich or Die Trying, to this day, and it's great now because we're talking, you know, 18 years later. Yeah. It's like considered a classic rap album. Because remember, like, that was new to us. Brand fucking new. How old does that make you feel? It, yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. Like, oh, 50 Cent? Yeah. When back when he had a music career? Yeah, dude. It's like... Well, I remember his first album. Up next, some classic hip-hop songs. <laughs> we have Sugar Hill Gang and 50 Cent coming. Like, it, it's weird, dude. It is weird. Because then I hear, like, there's rappers Lil Baby and Dub Baby and just, like, all these rappers today that are, like... <laughs> You hear about the drama between these two guys? Because I see something on Instagram all the time. Like, dude, dra- drama between these guys. Never even heard of these guys. <laughs> got cancel culture talking about Eminem and shit. Like, oh, my God, dude. And I got to listen to this garbage about some fucking rappers that literally just have each other's names with different surnames. It's the thing that the fuck. fucking annoys me is that it's off of a song that isn't even that good. They're talking about love the way you lied. The, We're not going to. I just brought that up in context. We don't, we don't need to do this right now. Okay. We can save this for a whole nother fucking moment. Yeah. Because this Be, is. It just, it's just so. It, like, this annoys me more than the WAP thing. I know. Wait. Just this is the only thing I want to say about it. How the fuck is WAP not a part of cancel culture, but they're going to fucking single totally out this one Eminem line from years ago? From 2010. Yeah, totally acceptable for that to be mentioned, but WAP can be the number one song. I did see something that's funny, though. It's like cancel culture is, from, is coming from Emin, is coming for Eminem. Eminem is the guy that cancels people. Yeah, basically. I was like, this is the equivalent sense. in the world of somebody sniffing Oxycontin and just yelling at somebody for like using heroin. It's the same concept. <laughs> like people that love the song WAP are coming crazy at Eminem. Like slow the fuck down. All right. I'm all about feminism and shit, but we're not going to support that because I don't need my fucking five year old niece jamming out to the kids bop version. Because it's acceptable for the moment. And then when she hears the real version, it's already in her head. Exactly. And now she's trying to be a bad bitch over here at the age of... No, we're not doing that. That's the problem with the world. Speaking of a bad bitch, 
<laughs> it's kind of fucked up set up to this fucking story. Horrible, horrible setup. Speaking of the differences between Oxycontin and heroin. Yeah, right. Uh, 2011, last thing here in uh, music history. Alice in Chains' bass player, Mike Starr, dies of another band with great self-titled album. Um, uh, Alice in Chains' bass player, original bass player, Mike Starr, dies in 2011 of prescription drug overdose at age 44. Um, he was the last person to see the original singer of Alice in Chains, Lane Staley, before he died in 2002. Yeah, it's a tragic story. Horrible story. And, like, the whole, like, his section on Dr. Drew, like, when he's talking to Lane's mom, the shit's, it's all, it, it's haunting, it's skin crawling, it's fucking, it's insane. Yeah. But... I think something or someone, something wants us to talk about self-titled albums. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, twice in one time. It's kind of coincidental that we mentioned a couple bands that actually, yeah, actually had this, relevance to each other. Yeah, like, this wasn't think. even planned. Yeah, strange. Anyway, whatever that thing was saying, <laughs> mentioned self-titled albums, and I made me think to myself while that thing was saying stuff. <laughs> there are a lot of self-titled albums out there. Oh, yeah. And I never really thought to really talk about that because not every band releases one. It's usually a common thing that it's the first album. Yes. And then a lot of times people release it later in their discography history. When they get tired or sometimes, lazy. Yeah, sometimes they're like <laughs> almost like attempts at comeback albums. Yes. Um, you know, particularly one band we will mention released one that happens to be the best of their later half discography. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of them, you know, are also just unnamed albums that people will disclose as other things. So I said, we exactly. would set the ground rules, you know, bands that will mention that have these albums. Um, well, self-titled, obviously meaning just the band. Yeah. Name. Either it was an untitled album that's just claimed as their self-title or mm-hmm. the color of the album. For instance, there's a couple bands that just are named by that or yes. an image on the album. They'll use that. Another ground rule is bands like Van Halen and Led Zeppelin are just multiples of a self-title. So you can yeah. only use the original. Exactly. It's the first one that counts because it just didn't have a number over it. Yep. Um, so I figure we would just mention several bands several albums and then kind of narrow it down to maybe like three of our favorites to ultimately pick our probably our favorite one doesn't have to be definitive but just for the sake that we don't script this out we kind of just free ball the shit out of it this is basically improv studio time yeah exactly so we'll just go off the top of our dumb and hopefully we rattle some feathers because we're like oh you didn't mention system of a down so <laughs> like, hopefully we get like that one guy out there that's just upset that we didn't mention a specific one exactly so let's uh well since we just talked about Mike Starr, we'll talk about Alice in Chains' self-titled Which album. Is probably going to be your favorite. Uh, not the favorite that I'm going to talk about today, oh. but it's one of my favorites. You know what's funny about this album, the Alice in Chains self-titled? Because this is another one where we talk about later in their career, mm-hmm. last album, last studio release, I guess we could say. This album, though. With the for- Lane era. Yes. That's what I attribute it to. Yeah, I consider Alice in Chains two different entities after Lanny. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah. But for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, the Alice in Chains self-titled album is the one with the dog on it. Yes. The three-legged dog, commonly referred to as the dog album. You get multiple colors depending on the jewel case that you purchase. I had I have the, the purple um, one, right? The purple, purple, purple and green. Case. Yeah. Badass. Yeah. I had the tape at one point, too. Yeah, I remember you showing me that. Or maybe I didn't. I think you had it, or Connor had it, or something. Connor had the tape. Yeah. yeah, Connor had the tape. I have the CD. Okay, but um, I 
Here's the thing, dude. And I was talking about this the other day. This album is really good. Well, hold on. It's It had the potential to be extremely good. I always felt like this album was lazy. You know what? It's dude. funny because you brought this up, actually. Mm-hmm. Raving about this album. This was a few years ago, actually, when we around the time when we started about this, we brought up Alice in Chains in a conversation. And like I mentioned before, they're interchangeable, their albums. Yes. This album always fell short for me. But the thing about it is, because the way we know Lane's story, it is an interesting album on its own because you actually get to see the progression of Lane through Alice in Chains' discography, like yes. his mental state, how dark this album is, the yep. lyrical content. This album, like to me, was like necessary, but I can get what you're saying about yeah, like yeah. like you think about it, dude. You think of like the progression of Alice in Chains and like Jerry Cantrell, for instance. Think of all the albums, and then you think of like Degradation Trip. Yes, you know, and then um, fucking what was the other one? De- there was Degradation Trip one and two, and then Boggy Depot. You see how hit, how that music progressed, and that essentially was Alice in Chains. It had everyone from Alice in Chains except for Lane Staley. Yes, I feel like the music itself was very lazy. Like you think of like the singles from that album. You have you know Grind. Grind's not a bad song. Yeah. I, I do like it. Then like again, I've never liked again like at all. I was Sludge Factories. Sludge awesome. Factories great. God Am is amazing. Yeah, how they didn't make God Am a single is like beyond yeah. me. Then you have like frogs, which is, but you think about what we're saying here though, as much as we can say, like, this is how good some artists were mm-hmm. that we can talk about this album as just not being that good because of and the bar that they set. That but still. this fucking album <laughs> would blow most of any other nineties bands music out of the exactly. fucking water. Put it this way, whatever blur released, I'm taking the self title. <laughs> By Alice and Chains over their entire discography. <laughs> Fucking Oasis, as popular as they are. Yeah. Taking Alice this Jane's over every Oasis album. Yeah. I just feel like it sucks that it was the final album with Lane because yeah. I feel like there was more gas in that proverbial tank. But that's the thing, though. I think the band did, but Lane didn't. Lane. And Lane did never had full on writing credits with the exception of a couple songs like Angry exactly. Chair and. And I don't even think others. he had, but he. It's it's a shame because again, it, you can tell the progression of where Lane was headed, where the band was headed, just through their discography. Because even Dirt is very dark in comparison, if to you know, Facelift. And the way I see it is, this was another band where, unless there were changes within the group. Yeah. You know, like the hiatus would need to happen or something would need to happen. Because it's even like the stories about Nirvana that they were heading for a breakup anyway. And all the shit that you could talk about or the what ifs or whatever. But this album, it's a shame because it's like what they left us showed the potential that there could have been something after exactly. this that could have been better if there was a period of time to like regroup. You know what's kind of funny though? Because obviously, like, we know most of this shit we do know off the top of our heads, but there's a lot to where we, you know, check through credible sources. Yes, yes. And um, I'm actually looking at the, at the, uh, like, writing credits for self titled. All the lyrics were written by Lane. Oh, well, yeah. Except, but yeah. Except for Grind. Yeah. Heaven Beside You and Over Now. Those are the, and those are probably the three best songs in yeah. that album. 
Yeah, it makes sense. But that's another thing. Like I'm saying, Angry Chair I brought it specifically because he has yeah. a full writing credit. Yeah, he that. wrote guitar for that. And he's usually always the lyricist involved. But yeah, the fact that mm-hmm. I'm sure what Jerry got writing credits for the other songs. Um yeah, so music. Alright, so on the Jerry only songs. Actually, the only there's only two Jerry only complete Jerry songs. One's Grind and One's Again. Okay. Lane wrote the lyrics to everything except for Grind, Heaven Beside You, and Over Now. The band collectively actually Lane didn't write any music, like actual like compositions for yeah. it. Jerry Cantrell. Which is that's expected most and of the Sean time. Kinney wrote most of the album, you know, Over Now. Uh, nothing song so close. Uh, Sludge Factory, and then Mike Inez was included with you know like Brush Away, yeah, Shame in You, Goddamn, and Frogs, yeah, yeah. Not to get too stuck on this album because there's a bunch we want to talk yeah, about, yeah. But this is the, just an album to set the tone for the saying of um. You know, it was a later release. I mean, we know Alice in Chains continued after Lane passed. Yep. Um, but it is one of those albums where it makes you quite like, why the self-title and when does it come? You know what I mean? Exactly. Because a lot of the bands will talk about, usually it's that first album. Sometimes yep. it's not. And almost sometimes, like the one album I'm going to bring up now, um, it's almost like a rebirth of an album, which is the Fleetwood Mac self-title. The Fleetwood Mac self-title is interesting because there were albums before that during the Peter Green era, and everybody assumes, like, you know, Fleetwood Mac is the first album. Fleetwood Mac, you know, Stevie Nicks, yeah. you know, Christine John McVie, Lindsey Buckingham, you know, that whole lineup that everybody's accustomed to, Fleetwood Mac self-title, forget that there's albums before that. It's like yeah. Rain and Blood. Like Rain and Blood <laughs> by Slayer, no, there's no self-title, but there's, there's albums before that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the Fleetwood Mac self-title... Is like that perfect idea of a rebirth of a group. You know, you had a couple albums prior. The Peter Green stuff's actually not bad. You know, it's not the Fleetwood Mac people are accustomed to. Yeah. But that Fleetwood Mac self-title with Rhiannon on it, blue letters on it, um, Landslide. Landslide is that one song where that defined the band. I mean, how many times have you heard Landslide on the radio? Or oh Rhiannon on the radio. All the time. I mean, because that's not rumors in the sense of being a total hit-made album. Yeah. But that album coming out later in their career as a start with the entire group. I'm wondering if that was planned or sometimes do they just not come up with a title? Because, again, most people will think the first Fleetwood Mac album is Fleetwood Mac by Fleetwood Mac, but that's not the case. And yeah. It's just interesting to know that because that's one of those albums that comes out later in a career where it's phenomenal what's also kind of funny too is that it took um, it took over a year for it to reach number one on billboard 200 yeah well i mean because you have to understand fleetwood mac did not have the notoriety until that lineup you yeah. know change which is interesting because then after that once rumors hit the fucking bricks it was like <laughs> yeah it's you know. that that's actually really crazy yeah there's a lot of good shit on that album that you know really set the tone for where Fleetwood Mac was going to be headed in their career. Yeah, exactly. Warm Ways Over My Head, Say You Love Me. Yep. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. I I still, it's still so crazy that it took it over a year. Yeah. I mean, think about, I mean, Nirvana's different. Nirvana didn't take nearly as long, but 
you know, they already had Bleach out and they were nowhere to be found. And then they released Nevermind. They're still playing VCR, you know, retail stores to eight people touring for their Nevermind album that becomes one of the best sellers. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it just takes bands to get traction. And especially in that day and age, you didn't have nearly as much marketing availability. Yeah. So, I mean, Fleetwood Mac's Fleetwood Mac. That is definitely a top self-title in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, you know what I want to do too as we're doing this? I want to write down how many or like what the certifications are for this because that's this Fleetwood Mac album, seven times platinum. Yes. That's crazy. I'm going to look up Alice in Chains' real quick while I'm thinking of this. I know this Alice in Chains album did not do well not at really. all. <laughs> it did not do good. I think it. I think it sold well in the beginning. Yeah, two times platinum. Another, as it should come as no surprise to anybody that listens to this show, you knew it was coming. Some of you were surprised that it was not my first. It just so happens to be number two on my list. Um, what I'm talking about right now is the first Van Halen album. App, uh, you know, aptly your you know, Van Halen one, Van, Van Halen. Halen one, no, Van, Halen. Van Halen one. Guess what the certification is on that bitch? What Van Halen one is diamond. God diamond, like diamond, David Lee Roth. No, <laughs> um. You know, I, I'm pretty sure everyone's tired of hearing me talk about how great Van Halen is and they're the best and I suck Eddie Van Halen's dick and, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Let the fucking jokes ensue. But the first Van Halen album, you literally cannot go wrong. And I I think it was actually until you listened to the first album in its entirety is when you finally got the Van Halen thing and you understood where I was coming from with it for so many years. Am I right or wrong? Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> like that, that and the, I always go back to the mindset of imagine you're a fucking teenager in 1978 and this motherfucker comes out. You've never heard nothing like this before. It's absolutely groundbreaking and will forever be groundbreaking. It's one of those quintessential albums to listen to if you're you know, hard rock fan, if you're starting out playing guitar or music in general and you want something to blow your mind, even to this day, if you're a beginner musician, you put on Van Halen, it's going to blow your mind. That's the thing with that album. It transcends. I'm I'm a Van Halen fan in the moderate sense because of that album. Yeah. Because, again, as much as it is good, I also hold into account that I use context for everything when I talk about music in most cases, especially older stuff, because I find a deeper appreciation when I watch live sets, when I watch, you know, tutorials for it. So you can see the actual guitar work, like, you know, up close. Cause you know, you didn't have many videos back then of the actual musician performing the song. So you get to really see, um, you know, how it's played and stuff like that. But Van Halen one, thinking about when that came out the time, I always have to bring that up because that's just an absolute fucking game changer to know that that shit was being recorded at the time that it was. You think about what people's context of music was, you know, during the time that album came out to see something like that. That's why I think it's funny when we talk, you know, like Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny. Like that's the only thing that could make sense of why this is as good as it is. 
then it found its way into the hands of Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> it, <laughs> Angus Young was playing a show in New Jersey. Yeah. He flicked a pick out to the kid <laughs> out in the crowd. His name was Eddie. This is Eddie Van, Van Halen. Halen. Yeah. Like, it's all dark. And they're like, <gasps> <laughs> it's got, see, that's the only thing. Like, it has to it be. It is funny, though, that when you put it into that perspective, because the pick didn't go anywhere else after Eddie Van Halen. Like they said, like the last time it was seen was with Eddie. And when they went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or whatever to go get the pick, it was on Eddie's guitar. So it was just like Eddie Van Halen was like the last like guitar hero, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Based yeah, on what, what that went, movie's yeah, exactly, context exactly. is. It's just so funny. And it makes sense because he basically is. I mean, if you think about some of the people that are still around today. No one is as influential no, as he is. He's the, he, like everyone thinks generic businessman was Donald Trump. You know, that was just, exactly. the, you know, the Eddie Van Halen, when you think of just Supreme Guitar. Yeah, you have Ingbays out there and Satriani's and stuff. But Eddie Van Halen is just that name. First thing you're thinking of immediately, any group, I don't care if you're from fucking Camden or Morristown, dude, you yep. know Eddie Van Halen, you know the name. The second you see the stripes, it's oh, like, yeah, over. that's and that's another there's thing. The, when you mention Guitar Hero, there's two people that always get brought up. One is Jimi Hendrix, one is Eddie Van Halen. And obviously, like, we know that there's better, more technical guitar players, but as far as a influential stance goes, but, um, I don't want to hang up and talk about Eddie Van Halen too much with this album because he is the shining star on this, but he's not the only shining star. You have superb fucking, you know, um, performances from everyone in that band. Michael Anthony, fucking Alex Van Halen, David Lee Roth. This is by far the most put together Van Halen album from the David Lee Roth era. And it's just quintessential. And granted, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of the other albums that came after this one, but you can just tell from hearing it and the energy on it, they were hungry. Oh yeah. Like they were a band that knew they were going to make it and they were going to make it at any cost. And it's funny because the version of the album that we all know and love, it's actually the second version of the album. The first version was recorded with fucking Gene Simmons and it sounds completely different. Well, it's like demos, but it sounds completely different. It sounds like a fucking kiss album. Actually, from yeah. those particular but that's recordings, another, I was going to say that's another thing because that's where they get a lot of the recognition for the whole glam metal scene that arose afterwards. But Van Halen, to me, always still had like that edge Guns mm-hmm. N' Roses type feel without fully tipping into like yes. the Scorpions and Poison and stuff. Well, yeah, the thing too, the influences that they had, they their main influence was Black Sabbath. Yeah, like they were huge Black Sabbath fans, but. <clears throat> Funny enough, and this will be like the last like Van Halen thing I want to bring up. Um, Kiss's Love Gun was being recorded around the same time that Van Halen One was being recorded, or you know, at the time where Gene Simmons was managing Van Halen. I guess there's a version of Christine Sixteen with Eddie Van Halen playing guitar on it that was surfacing on the web not too long ago. It's pretty incredible. So. One I'm going to mention here, because <laughs> we're adding charts in this, so I kind of changed my thing. Because you could, like, just to narrow off some albums, I mean, we have Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. We have System of a Down, System of a Down. Yeah. Metallica's Black Album. I'm sure you, were you planning on mentioning it? Okay, I'll let you have yeah. mentioned that one. 
which is Metallica basically. But one I'm going to mention here because this is actually one of my favorite rock and roll albums. Just it's it's simple rock and roll. It's just the vibe of the 70s. Yeah. Boston by Boston. Ooh. Here's the thing about that. Boston's discography is nowhere in the likes of let's say Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, um, you know, bands that came out around the time, you know, The Doors. Like there's a lot of other bands that I was going to mention here, but when I was looking at album charts and certifications, Boston in the United States, 17 times platinum. Diamond in Canada. Oh, shit. I did not realize 17 million certified unit sales in the United States. 17 times platinum. Yeah. That's crazy. Because a 10 million crosses you out the diamond era. Yeah. And there's 17 times platinum for this album. Because Boston by Boston, man. I mean, think about it. More than a feeling... Dude, how many times have you heard that fucking foreplay long piece of peace of mind is just one of those you can't be in a bad mood and listen to Boston, especially <laughs> yeah. this album. It's That's like the truth. impossible. It's the truth. I love Boston. I've always been a huge fan of God, Boston. His and it, like live too. His vocals. I don't know how he fucking does. It. You want to talk about just you know natural talent? Yeah, and abilities. Oh, oh fucking a, dude. You want to talk about sad story too? The way he died. Like I've brought it up on previous mm-hmm. episodes because I think we actually talked about his death on a music history relation, but. He's one of that. That's one of those bands where you know you're having a bad day. You know more than a feeling. Peace of mind. Um, you know, rock and roll band. I mean, there's just so many songs oh, yeah. in that album that are just it's it's such a fucking clean, perfect, flawless front to back, easy listen. Nothing spectacular, off the wall. Just it's a fucking perfect rock and roll album. Oh fucking a seventeen time platinum. Yeah, that's insane. Um, it's actually funny because I think that might be the uh, the highest selling album of the ones that we're getting ready to talk about, or yeah, the ones that we are talking self about. Self titles, yeah. The second highest that I want to, well, the second highest, which is immediately below the Boston album, is Metallica's Black album. Yeah, this, see, this is crazy because <laughs> when I just realized this, um. To know that Boston was even that high was crazy. Now knowing that Metallica's even underneath them, like I'm now I'm like starting to think about all the other self titles that are yeah. below this one. I didn't realize it was the best. Actually, I before I bring up Metallica's Black Album, I do want to. Did you know that there is a correlation between Boston and Def Leppard? It's not In a way. What way? It's all right. So their guitar player Tom Scholz. Okay. Were you aware that he's like an inventor and like fucking genius, like MIT type genius inventor guy? He created this thing in the 80s called the Rock Man. The Rock Man was like the first pocket guitar amp, right? It was the size of a like a Sony Walkman from the 80s. And with this device, you had very 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 convincing guitar sounds, clean and distorted sounds. Def Leppard's Hysteria album featured that album or featured that that particular device extensively. Like all the clean guitar sounds come from that. Really? Yes. I, I wouldn't blame them because that fucking sound is awesome. Yo, fucking A, dude. That That's the thing. That's the, the, It's just funny because this dude, Tom Schultz, like he made so much shit and it became so widely popular and so fucking, you know, like sought after. He probably didn't even have to do Boston anymore. Yeah. 
like this rock band thing was like fucking like it was like groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, like my eleven rack and shit is nothing compared to what that was back Not even when close. that came out. And like, like the how old is that? That's what's uh, even great about it. The rock band I think came out in the early eighties. Yeah. And like, dude, it was just amazing. It's all over it like it's like anything like eighties, hard rock, whatever, it's in there. It's in everything. But Def Leppard were one of those bands that used it like extensively in the studio. Makes sense. Like this little fucking stupid plastic box made these <laughs> guitar sounds that are like, you know, world memorable known. as fuck. Exactly. Too. Yeah. Dude, it's that's crazy. another thing about when we talk about these bands too. Not only do they have like definitive vocalists, but their tones. Like Van Halen, yes. you just you could play it without David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar, and you know what band that is. The Browns. Boston, as soon as that fucking intro riff kicks in for more than a feeling, yeah. a piece, you know that's Boston. And actually, Tom Scholz used all of his own equipment for Boston. Yeah, that's I, and yeah. like like that like now like hearing or thinking that you can hear those sounds yes. and kind of put two and two together. That is an interesting correlation. I should write I a book this. of all these like stupid little things. You that should. I know. Bill's facts. <laughs> Bill's facts of the day. Well, another Bill fact of the day: the album, the Black Album, uh, also known as Metallica. Yeah, Metallica. Yeah, yeah. untitled. Yeah, left it's, to discretion. On the sticker that you get in the store, it says Metallica. Like Pearl Jam's Avocado album, yeah. or Weezer's Blue album, exactly. other albums <laughs> we're not going to get to in depth in, but to make reference. Exactly. Um, this album needs no introduction. This is what put Metallica into the mainstream and brought them into a wider audience than ever before. And the purists hate it. There's your cat. What are you trying to say, Bill? I, I don't know. I'm just saying. You, you're, no. Meta- you're a Metallica purist. I mean, I like the Black Album. I don't. I wouldn't well, say I hate it. All right. But so, if I could only own five albums by Metallica, it would be the first four and probably Search for the No Life Toll Leather EP. Yeah, but I don't think you can count that. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying. There's just, like, I don't. I don't know. Or like, I get. Your ass EP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look for that. The original Kill 'em All <laughs> recordings or something. Um, but you're right. I mean, the Black Album is great, and I, it makes yeah. sense why it's their best selling. It's one of those albums, and like how I can how I can distinguish a good album is if I can put it on from start to finish and not have the desire to skip a track. Yes, I used to feel that way about this album. <laughs> yeah, and I, there, you, I don't like wherever I may roam. I hate that fucking song. Yeah. Like it's just the riff's pretty cool. It, the beginning school the sitar yeah, and shit. But then when it gets like slow and yeah. like like Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Through the Never's pretty cool. Yeah. I get that. My Enter Sandman still is enjoyable. It is yeah. one of those beat to death songs, of course. However, when that song comes on, you know you the turn li- up the radio and scream. And the live version, just like the build up oh, to yeah. the intro is just it's it's like and it's funny because at one point that was a new song. Yeah. Can now you imagine when we've hearing that heard for the first it, as I was saying, time? now when we've heard it, yep. it's like, oh, here's this song again. Dude, but I've yeah. always said it that the Black Album is probably the best produced Metallica album out of all of them. And the Black Album, hands down, is my favorite drum sound of any album ever. Yeah. The the way that the Bob Rock produced that album with those drums, it is 
second to none. I like, just you I, can't get a better I, drum I, sound. I, I hate, in my opinion, I think the only reason I get on the Black Album is because the Black Album gave them a level of confidence that took them in such a wrong direction. Exactly. Like they, like the Black Album was like the bad influence friend. You know, they were doing so well already, <laughs> and then they met up with this new friend, and they were. You know, like, let's try this. And they're like, oh, it's pretty cool. And they went from, like, you know, smoking cigarettes and weed to injecting crank into their fucking dicks. Like, it just, it spiraled <laughs> so greatly after the Do you really the think they went album. that far? Load and reload are so <laughs> bad, dude. I'm tired of trying to enjoy them. Yeah. And Insane Anger was an absolute kick in the teeth. And we don't have to, you know, beat yeah. this to the ground. But... Again, I think the Black Album was an influence to give them a level of confidence, thinking that they could totally adapt their yes. sound away from the we started thrash metal, basically, to like, let's become a heavy metal group. Yeah, and it's so funny, too, because you think about 1991, you had Cowboys from Hell and the Black Album that yeah. came out. And so, looking about you Pantera. look at the progression of Pantera versus the progression of Metallica after so that. So different. Think about the progression different. of Motorhead. Think about the progression. Even Megadeth try like uh, Countdown to Extinction. I they, mean, they I, almost fucked everything up there, but they still were a thrash band first until Risk. Yeah, Risk. I mean, but Risk has some decent songs on it. That's U- the difference. Euthanasia's all right too. Euthanasia I guess. got a little like a Toot Lamont, like got a little mm. you know was a little like anthemy. Like Phantom uh, Family Tree is pretty good off that. Yeah. Um, but then I mean, even Dystopia. Like getting Adler on there, trying to get a rediscovery 13. of their thrash. Like Metallica, like went so far that they're trying to come back, and, and it's just, they lost that touch. So now they're stuck in this pigeonhole of like what's comfortable for for us and what can we get an album yes. out on. Um, you know, not to go down them a lot, but yeah, I, I agree with you though. The Black Album, it makes sense the way it sold. The guy that failed is my favorite song off that album. I. I think Through the Never is probably my favorite song of that album, just because of You know, originally that was supposed style. to be the first single? It would, And I'm surprised it isn't. Bob Rock suggested yeah. that Enter Sandman be the first single. Which is interesting, because it made sense in the long run. Yeah, exactly. But Through the Never would... It, like, it, it's like lithium <laughs> off of Nevermind <laughs> instead oh, of dude. Smells Like Teen Spirit. But Through the Never is just... It did have good riffs. Through the Never reminds me of like Dyer's Eve. Through the Never is okay. like that song on... Um, the black album that gets overlooked because of everything else that's on yes. that album. That My friend has, of misery gets overlooked a lot too. Oh yeah, I agree. I agree. But wherever I may roam, you know, nothing else I, matters. Of course, I hate that song. Yeah, as well. I mean that's this is what I'm saying. There's a lot of songs on there. Yeah. Where, um, couple I want to mention before I get into oh, the 16 times platinum. By the way, yeah, right under 17 times. I can't believe Boston went 17 times platinum. They're just one of those that bands. Still dude. doesn't shock me, but it's still shocking at the same well, time. Well, if you think about when it came out versus when Black Album came out, if yeah. Black Album had came out, you know, like give it like another fucking 20 years. Yeah, it'll get there. But but I'm saying like think about all the rock and roll albums that we mentioned. Like the one I'm about to mention now, eight times platinum, Led Zeppelin one. Mm. We're talking less than half of the record sales of Boston self-titled. Led Zeppelin one, like the most, I own an original copy of Boston by Boston and it's dirt fucking cheap. Yeah. You know? And I guess it's the limited amount of manufacturing for certain albums. Obviously that makes them more expensive. Yeah. But Led Zeppelin one only being eight times platinum compared to Boston self-titled. Well, you think about iconic records that you own. Yes. Dark side of the moon. Led Zeppelin one, like right there. Yeah. You know, it was like just that iconic album. That well, just... the way you have to think about it too is the, like the fan base and the trajected audience of these albums. Like Boston was way more like commercially friendly. Than yeah. Led that's, Zeppelin. that's gotta be the, like yeah. Led Zeppelin had that whole like fucking like 
devil worshiper thing behind them yeah. that turned a lot of people off, especially back then. Like now they, well, they what would about like, Fleetwood Mac's rumors? Yeah. I mean, true. that's not even as selling as fucking Boston by Boston. And that's literally basically a greatest hits album. Yeah. Um, but no, like I don't like to get on Boston to say that they don't deserve it. Cause I still think that album they, oh, they as do. good as it is. It was just shocking to know that that's the best selling self title of all time. It is crazy. Um, but eight times platinum Led Zeppelin one, not my favorite Led Zeppelin album, sadly. It, but it's still a phenomenal album. Oh yeah, and we talk Without about doubt. albums at the time that they were released. You mm-hmm. know, we talk about Van Halen, Led Zeppelin one. Man, I mean, we talk about the chops of you know Clapton, Page, and um, back when they all left the Yardbirds in their brief time there, and Cream mm-hmm. was established, and Cream was just the blueprint for what was to come in like that blues rock. You know, yeah. That, real rock and roll that was about to come. And then Led Zeppelin comes out and you got Jimmy Page up there. That lead for communication breakdown. Oh yeah. I mean, solos like that weren't really, that that was not a thing to do back then. Guitars were never really used in such a fashion until guys like Hendrix and well, he like Page. He like constructed what is to be known as like the, the, the guitar solo. Yeah, which is interesting because Think about when we talk about bands that did stuff before there was something to base it off of. Mm-hmm. To just do that. Yeah, like you look weird. at like the nonsense that fucking like, you know, I, I always bash on fucking um, Neil Young. But you look at like the bullshit that he was playing on guitar versus like what Jimmy Page was doing. So this is the thing. I'm a Neil Young fan, so I can get the bashing and I can accept it. Because, again, I love Neil Young. Love yeah. Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. But, yeah, when you put it in that context. Yeah. They're the same instrument. Yeah. They have about the same recognition in a mainstream sense. But what they're doing with it. Exactly. You like, know, I don't like, want to say like Neil Young is less than by any means. Because yeah. he, he does come up with very good guitar riffs and parts and stuff. Yeah. But it's like, like pizza parlors. Like there are real pizza parlors out there, but people are ordering Domino's. Exactly. People are ordering Pizza Hut. You know, they <laughs> is, are just is Neil Young, the Little Caesars. To, <laughs> Neil Young is a Little Caesars to, to you know Page. Jimmy Page's fucking Sorrentos down yeah. the yeah corner. <laughs> you know, <laughs> is Neil Young? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the title. <laughs> He's the mountain shouting of guitars. Yeah, now we're gonna use that as the. Uh, the they do Caesars. the same thing, but they just don't. Yeah, and like do it to enough, perfection. They both play Les Pauls as well. I know. Like this is <laughs> and Marshall. Unbelievable. Jimmy Page is just Jimmy Page is on like a whole another level. Yeah, Led Zeppelin one though, man. It's just it's one of those albums where because it's just so recognized that. I'll overlook it a lot because mm-hmm. I just, you know, how many times am I going to listen to it? But then when you listen to it again, there's so many albums in that time where yes. you just finally digest them more than the songs that you're accustomed to and listen to it as an album. Like these bands were making albums back then. They weren't like, all right, let's make three hit songs and then fill it with six more to get a complete feel. Exactly. Like these songs, you can hear the fucking full passion and energy throughout the entire album. Um, Two more I want to mention just for their sales before we get into our maybe consensus pick. And if you want to rattle off any more. Three times platinum, uh, the self-title by Rage Against the Mainstream. And then four times platinum. Undeniable. Yeah, the I know you're not a huge fan, but the self-title by the doors, uh, four times platinum. I can under I can understand. Yeah, that's that's another iconic, you know, you think vinyl records, that's just another iconic album to just own because it's the doors and it's, you know. 
Great fucking music, in my opinion. Exactly. Not my, again, not my favorite album by them, but I always Good, have like you know that's my favorite. That's their best seller. That's their <laughs> best one. And the doors by the doors. Um, last one that I actually looked at that I have any kind of information is Slipknot's self-titled album. Yeah, that's an interesting one because two times platinum. I yeah, that's crazy because I follow certain um, metal pages, and I don't need to put them out in the airwaves it's unnecessary but one's like uh the pit we are and the other oh okay yeah yeah i'm on the a wire that screams really loud um (laughs) but they always post slipknot shit like that is just that's it for metal yeah that is it Corey taylor trimmed his pubes this morning like that's their full full story click click and bio what the fuck (laughs) i'm so sick of hearing about slipknot Corey Taylor, Ramstein, and Ghost. Like, that is apparently the new mainstream wave of, like, we're heavy music. Like, we listen to these bands. Well, you know, I I don't dig that, but at least they're not, like, disturbed. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, but Disturbed doesn't get the recognition to make them even more hated, in my opinion. (laughs) But that's the thing about Slipknot, because Slipknot does, like, Iowa... It's a good fucking album. It is pretty fucking good. Even volume three. And yeah. This and then we mentioned the self title. And that's the thing I forget sometimes. Like we were around when Slipknot was new. Mm-hmm. So we had the luxury to be a part of the bringings up of what Slipknot became. And they were became. another band that fucking forged their own path. Yes. Like, you know, they I mean, came into that same scenery. Like they claim new metal, but it wasn't new. That's metal. what I'm it saying. They're almost like Van Halen to get lumped in with the glam metal scene. Exactly. And Slipknot very easily could get bunched in with corn. Mm-hmm. And, and anyone that knows, yeah, biscuit. Anyone that knows music knows that they were way, way, way different. Yeah. Slipknot was like on a whole other fucking like ethos. Yeah, I I would think that Slipknot was probably more closely related to Deftones than they were to Limp Biscuit or Corn. Yeah, like, but it's weird because they still weren't. You know, they, like yeah, they had the aggressive. They're kind of their like, own thing. It's almost the equivalent of like Pantera coming out the same time as the Black Album. Yeah, like they were both heavy, but Pantera was way fucking heavier. Yeah, yeah. Well, and sadly, I mean, not Better. sadly, but I would take Pantera. Pantera just was way more talent. Oh, I take Cowboys I over think Black. The album thing about Slipknot is too, they had the shock value. They had the yes. character setup theme, you know, almost like gore without and, the super. And they didn't break that sense. shit for a very long time. And they didn't. Corey Taylor, even with the Stone Sour shit, you get a different side in his actual music talents beyond yes. the aggressive side, which is interesting, and I can dig that. But the thing about it is when we talk about like like trying to compare like the heavy metal sense, Pantera never relied on theatrics. And I think that's another thing that can draw in a fan base and it's good marketing. Yes. Like Gore, for instance. Gore's a great thrash band at the end of the day, but a lot of their fan base is drawn from the theatrics and exactly. the satirical content the behind it. And all the other but shit. Pantera, you were going to see them to fucking watch talent. Yes. You know, I'm not going to watch Vinnie Paul drum on a fucking bunch of empty beer you kegs. Know, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's just some theatrics behind it that'll draw on the fan base. And not yes. to say they're not talented, but there's not- aspects of Slipknot that are kind of like goofy. Yeah. But there are actually some talent behind it, which mm-hmm. I can accept. They're not totally just trying to make themselves into this comical band. And honestly, like Jim Root and Mick Thompson, the guitar players, like they don't receive like any of the credit that they really should. <laughs> yeah, um, they don't really receive any of the credit they should. Like Jim Root is a fucking phenomenal. He guitar is good, player. like insanely good guitar. He player. is fucking good. And Mick Thompson is really fucking good too. Like Mick Thompson was in my top ten guitar. Jim players. Root has the. Um, 
a defender, ain't it? Yeah, he's it's got like a, a beefed he's up. A, he's got a telly. He's got a strat. I've seen the telly. Master. The telly is the one that I saw. The jazz is fucking yeah. sick. Yeah, he, the he's strat's got a good insane setup. too. But um, yeah. So Slipknot's fucking self-titled album, incredible. So Another let's good um, one. let's narrow this down. Get a little consensus because we haven't had a many consensus moment in a couple of our topics recently. So I think okay. we can get this down. It doesn't have to be the be all end all, but just you're here in the moment. You mm-hmm. can only have one of these self titled albums for the rest of your life to listen to. Which one are you going for? I know everyone's expecting me to say Van Halen, but Van Halen one is not my favorite album. Um, it's stuck between Black Album. And Alice in Chains. And Alice in Chains. I think, however, the Black Album, to me, is more of a good repeat listener yeah. than self-titled. Because self-titled, uh, at like there's more songs that I would skip on there, and I'm just not a giant fan of. Yeah. So, probably the Black Album. Yeah. Black Album would have to be my number one out of my list. So, I'm excluding ones that we did not really bring up. Because if I was going to think of one, it would be the compilation of Nirvana's Nirvana. Oh yeah, that you know, greatest well, hits. Strictly for you know, you're right. It, yeah, exactly. That's the only song. That's that the only like. Nirvana song I've really actually thoroughly see. Me enjoyed. personally, I, that album is the best, uh, greatest hits. In yeah, a sense because it has like everything. But for the sake of the albums we talked about, because I thought the same thing. Really thought about Rage because Rage is just my brand of tea. And oh yeah, aggressiveness all the time. Um, Led Zeppelin, you know, Boston, but the Doors. I think the Doors self-title, there was a period of time, I think junior year of high school, where I listened to that album so many goddamn times to a point now where it's like embedded in my brain that any time I listen to that album, I feel like I'm in, you know, October weather. <laughs> it's like just everything's great. That nostalgia from that album hits me so fucking hard that I think the Doors self-title, in my opinion, would be that. That is just, to me, the perfect self-titled album. First album. Every song you're familiar with, and ironically, the only song that I would find unappealing is Light My Fire because it's just too long and it's just too yeah. redundant. But overall, that album's just got so much good shit on it. I, I, can, I can dig that. Yeah, that's the one. So what do you think? <laughs> so what do you think? Uh, albums that we didn't bring up, obviously, there's uh, quite a few we didn't bring Man. up. And obviously, you know, we... we really talk about shit that we know a decent bit about and stuff that we know that we can have conversations with. But if you feel like there was an album or a band that didn't get brought up and you feel snubbed because you wanted us to really talk about Weezer today, you can I get suddenly us- brought them up. <laughs> I like threw them in there and like a roll off of his names. Speaking of Weezer. Yeah. Speaking of colored albums. Sorry I didn't talk about Blur by Blur. <laughs> you can get us on our social medias. Facebook.com slash R-A-T-M podcast. Instagram and Twitter at R-A-T-M podcast. And if you have a list of albums or a list of anything, you can write to us. R-A-T-M podcast at gmail.com. But until then, we're going to get into our suggestions for this week. Based off of the topic at hand... I would like to suggest the song Surfacing off of Slipknot's 1999 album, Slipknot. Mm. Um, Surfacing just has a fucking killer riff in the beginning, dude. It's just a good-ass song. Um, I was stuck between that or Sick. I like both of them. Like I, I didn't want to be like, oh, uh, wait and bleed. 
yeah, come on, you know we can bleed. Let's listen to that again. But surfacing is fucking sick. Um, just a good ass album. Very good album. Very good song. Slipknot surfacing. Check it out. Fuck, you got me all screwed up over here now. I feel like I have to follow. You know what? That's what I'm going to do. I don't even think I've ever recommended this album, and I'll be pissed if I didn't. Yeah, I definitely did, and there's no way because it was just too redundant. Self-titled albums. Totally forgot to mention this, but I'm going to recommend a song off of it. The album is the 1988 release, simply entitled Danzig. Oh, shit. I'm surprised you bring that up. Have I never mentioned this album? What the (laughs) fuck is wrong with me? Um, Great fucking album. So much shit on there. But I I mean, I'm going to recommend just because it's more off the beating side on the behalf of the album. It's called The Hunter. It's actually a cover song, which I found out that I did not know until way later. Who's it a cover of? I'll tell you in a second. I forget. But it's like a blues band. Um, oh, wow. But the song is called The Hunter, second last track on the album. But yeah, the 88 release, Danzig by Danzig. Nice. For our movie suggestion, now here's the thing. The movie itself, you're going to have to look for on the Twig of Water. Okay. Or if you have Apple TV, it's available as well. But it is the 2019 release directed by Stanley Nelson Jr. Uh, it's the Miles Davis documentary. It's the Miles Davis entitled Birth of the Cool. Runs about two oh, hours long. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge Miles Davis fan, and it's yeah. funny I keep it secret because I don't like getting in conversations about jazz because I don't know nearly enough about it to even start to have a conversation. Yeah. And if you bring it up to someone who's not a fan of jazz, they immediately think you're just being pretentious. Like, you don't even fucking like. I'm like, yeah, I don't listen to jazz like that, but I have, you know... You know, Bitches Brew and Kind of Blue. And, yeah. You know, some John Coltrane albums, but I don't go out you of my dabble way. dabble in it. Yeah, I don't go out of my way to say I'm a jazz fan. But Miles Davis, man, he has a very interesting story. Um, and Bitches Brew is just one of those albums when we talk about iconic releases. Oh, it's yeah. just a very recognized album. But yes, definitely check that out. Nice. So once again, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on social medias. Facebook.com slash R-A-T-M podcast. Instagram and Twitter at R-A-T-M podcast. And if you got anything to say to us, R-A-T-M podcast at gmail.com. But until then, this is another episode of Rage Against the Mainstream podcast for the books. Thank you so much for your continued support. And as long as you keep listening, we'll keep putting them out. Sorry for this one being a little too long. It's just something we like to talk about. As always, I'm Bill. I'm Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thank you for listening.